Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Now, Adolf Hitler wanted to rule the world. And that would have been a a disaster of all disasters. Same with any world conqueror that you track. All of whom had evil ambitions. People gave their lives in wars to stop these efforts. For example, the efforts of Stalin and, and others in order to create a measure of restraint justice and freedom and peace on the earth. And it is true that even warring nations act as a type of restraint to autocratic dominating power. And they restrain the the free run of evil. Amen? That's why I want to say to you, one world unity is a curse. And the New Agers are really into this, aren't they? The liberal and the progressives, they want this one world order, the world council of churches and all this other one world stuff. World unity, folks, is a curse. A one world ruler would be a disaster. One people only escalates the the unified force of evil. And God knows that. And so does Satan. And Satan is moving the world in which we live today back to this one world order system. That's why they're pushing it so hard. One religion with one ruler who's identified in the Bible as the Antichrist. Amen? Satan wants to produce this one world, one government under one ruler who's called the beast in the book of Revelation. And someday his kingdom, and it's happening soon. I believe he's here now. Amen? Someday soon, this one world order will bring the entire world under unilateral, unlimited power and evil power. And hell will belch forth and demons will abound. The demons that have been constrained will be released upon the earth. Amen. And all hell will break loose. And what the New Agers are wanting to happen is exactly what Satan wants to happen. Amen? They are simply his advanced publicity team. That's it. Satan would want a one-world government, then he will select the one-world leader, and he himself, Satan, will rule the world through this puppet, the Antichrist. And when that happens... You can read in the book of Revelations about the horrors that are about to occur. And what are those horrors? Well, the prophets tell us well. There will be mass slaughter, mass death. People will be killing each other, even in families. That's hell on earth. The explanation of the contemporary sociologists and anthropologists is that man is basically good. When man does something really bad, it's because he gets brainwashed. 
And the only explanation for the Holocaust in Germany, the only explanation for good German people massacring 6 million Jews is they were under a relentless onslaught of Nazi propaganda that literally overpowered their thinking so that eventually they were so severely brainwashed they just went out and killed all the Jews. Uh, we could take that and look at the, the liberal media that is in the hip pocket of the Democrat Party, and they refuse to cover anything on the Republican side. But, you know, I mean, Obama and all the illegal acts he did, they, they just go along with it. So, oh, that's fine, that's fine. So the same work, the same force is at work today. But getting back to the history lesson here, That has been the standard response of evolutionary sociologists and anthropologists. They believe that man is on the ascendancy. We get better and better and better. And that has to explain the incredible holocaust of Germany is they were just brainwashed. Say nothing of the 50 million or so that were killed by Stalin. And the explanation has always been, well, they were brainwashed for a long time and they were so brainwashed they couldn't think the normal way. And that's what happened. And then they found this town in Poland called Jedwabadny. In 1939, Hitler started his movement to take over the world. But he didn't want to have a fight on the eastern border, so he made a truce with Russia in order to kind of keep a buffer zone. I mean, you have Germany here, Russia over there, and in the middle is Poland. So he split Poland down the middle, annexed the eastern part of Poland to Russia, and took the western part for Germany. That way there would be a buffer. And Jedwabian is in eastern Poland. And it was never occupied by any of the Nazis. It was never occupied by any Germans. It was occupied by Russians. Now the Russians at the time, they weren't trying to conquer the world as much. They weren't interested in racial propaganda. So there is no propagandizing at all of the 3,000 people that lived in that little town. 1,600 of the people were Jews. And the Jews had lived in that town for 300 years. They farmed together with the other folks, the Gentile people who were there. They went to school with them. They worked with them. Occasionally, they even married them. They bought groceries in the same stores and worked the fields together. They carried on the same social events in town. They had done this for 300 years. There was essentially no racial attitude at all there. Everybody got along just fine. Well, June 22, 1941, Hitler didn't want to follow that truce anymore because he wanted to defeat Russia, so he just swept through Poland, and the truce was broken. And he soon took that town of Jedwabany along with all of Poland all the way to the Russian border. And that was on June 22, 1941. A little over two weeks later, on July 10, the Gentile townspeople took all 1,600 Jews in one day and massacred every one of them. The ones they couldn't stab with a pitchfork or behead with an axe because they were running out of time that day, they herded into a barn and then poured gasoline all around the barn and burned them all to death. That event could not be explained by sociologists. 
the way they were trying to explain the, the Holocaust. Because it couldn't be explained by the sociologists because the town was never under any Nazi propaganda. There had been none there. The history records indicate that not one of those people was killed by a German. None. Not one of them was killed by a Nazi soldier. Not even one. Every single one of those Jews were killed by his neighbors. And the question the sociologists ask is, how in the world can people in a two-week period massacre their neighbors in a bloodbath? How can they do that? The answer is, well, the Germans just gave them permission to do it. They said, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. They didn't do it because of race. They did it because they wanted their farmlands and their farm implements and their furniture and their money and their jewelry and everything they possessed. They wanted their possessions. The, it, that's in the heart of man. There's no brainwashing necessary. Romans chapter 3 says their feet are swift to shed blood. And all it will take to create in a world in which people massacre each other today is to have one government that says, yeah, you can do that, and just turn them loose. Jebuani is a testimony to the wretchedness of man's heart. What do we see today in the Islamic world, in the Muslim world? You have uh, ISIS, these awful devil-possessed people with their own little unity clique who says it's okay to kill anybody that's not like us. That's including other Muslims who don't hold to the extreme radical views that ISIS holds. If you're not with us, you're against us. That's their basic policy. And if you're against us, we kill you. That's what we see in the world today. So there's another example of a group of people giving permission I mean, you got these lone wolves in America who are carrying out these terrorist attacks, killing tens and dozens of people at one time, and ISIS says, oh, that's good, you guys are doing that. See, ISIS is giving them permission in their minds to do that. Amen. I mean, you can see the exact same thing being acted out in the streets of America's cities today. President Obama and his administration basically gave carte blanche for hoodlums and thugs to do what they want in the inner cities. This Black Lives Matter movement is escalating to the point where you cannot say anything against it or you could be attacked. All the liberal politicians are embracing this as something good. These black people are, are expressing themselves. But it produces nothing but evil. Amen? And I may be offending some of you right now, but get over it. That's exactly what's going to be repeated across the face of the earth during the reign of the Antichrist. All the Antichrist has to do is tell people, yeah, you can do that. You can do it. And when sinners get concentrated under one power at one place, wickedness abounds, folks. All you have to do it's just remember the greatest amount of crime and the greatest amount of wickedness in the world occurs where? Out in the farm country? No, in the cities. And the bigger the city, the worse it is. Look at the Detroit riots, Chicago, L.A., Baltimore. When the riots happened in Baltimore in April of 2015, the mayor told the police force to stand down. 
She said, let them loot and burn the buildings. It's only buildings. She actually said that. But inside of those buildings were private citizens, homes, stores, lifetime of things, all their possessions, with the mayor saying, ah, let them do what they want. And an entire section of the city was destroyed in just a couple of days. So here, God knew what was being proliferated here. Man was evil, and his evil singularly and unilaterally in one package would abound to such a degree that there would be no way to preserve him from self-destruction because man by nature, Romans 3, is swift to shed blood. All you have to do is give him permission. Amen? God knew the sinfulness of the post-flood people was the same as the sinfulness of the pre-flood people. And some missionary out there is going to say, yeah, but did God know that? Because now I have to go and learn Swahili or Russian. I mean, it's a complicated deal, no doubt. But that's the lesser of the evils. Anyway, God scattered these people everywhere. And as they went from a common language, they began to develop the variations that God had assigned them because he confused their speech. And you can see what would happen. The people who could communicate with each other, they would group together. And then they would separate themselves from the people with whom they could not communicate. They didn't even understand what was going on. Because there had always been one language, just one set of words. And by the way, as we move toward the Antichrist kingdom, languages are disappearing as well. Amen? A few years ago, I read a magazine that said this. Uh, I, well, I remember what it said. It's, basically, it said, thousands of humid languages are headed towards extinction. The 15 most common languages are now on the lips of over half of the world's people. Half of the world's people speak one of 15 languages. Amen? One or more of 15 languages. 90% of all the people on the earth speaks 100 languages. We're down to 6,800 total languages today, and half of those are spoken, half of them are spoken by 2,500 people. And 90% of the world speaks 100 languages. At the current rate, this magazine said that it's estimated that by the end of this century, half of the present languages will be extinct. They'll be completely gone. And that's an interesting article. Only 600 right now, only 600 languages are being taught to children. The rest can't survive because there's no other generation to speak them. I can think it just kind of plays into the scene, doesn't it? Everybody in the world is anxious to learn English. That's sort of my guess. It's purely a guess that English would be the language of choice in the kingdom of the Antichrist. So God knew the potential power of evil contained in a unilateral structure. In verse 2, let's go back to that for a minute. It came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. That's the key. Look at that. Settled there. That is exactly what God told them not to do. 
They said, this is the place we will build our one world civilization. We're not going to scatter across the face of the earth as God said. We're going to stay here together and we'll have more power here. That's defiant and rebellious. Now, we don't know how many people there were. I suppose we could do some type of calculations and extrapolate it out there somewhere. But if there were eight people, how many could possibly be born within 100 years' time? And It certainly wouldn't be a great number. Let's say several thousands of people. But they decided they weren't going anywhere anymore. We want to stay here together. We like being together. We don't want to weaken our power base by dividing the talent, the resources, and the people. And, of course, they had a leader, right? You want to meet the leader? Go back to chapter 10, verse 8. Here is the leader. Now, Cush, who was a son of Ham, became the father of a man named Nimrod. Nimrod, remember that from uh, studying chapter 10. You might want to know what his name means. Nimrod is actually translated rebel. A man named Nimrod, he became a mighty one in the earth. Now here's your leader. Out of all those in the record there in chapter 10, he's the only one given the accolade, the mighty one in the earth. This was the leader. And he stands out because of the importance that he plays. The importance that he plays in the development of the nations. Further reading, you see he's called a mighty hunter. Now, if you go and look up the actual translation of that word hunter, it means a warrior. It doesn't mean he was hunting animals. It means he was a killer of people, not animals. So here we have the great-grandson of Noah, the grandson of righteous Ham, becoming a powerful, powerful man, ruthless and deadly, and he seems to be the man who rises to the ascendancy, not by any political means, certainly not by democratic means, but by the sheer power he exhibits. He leads the open rebellion against God. It's said in verse 9, Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Even God recognized this man as a great killer. This was the equivalent of Hitler. He was a Stalin in his day. He was a mass murderer. And then verse 10 says, At the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Then Eric and Akkad, from which we get the Akkadian people. And Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Oh, there you are again. Here was Shinar and Babel. So Nimrod rises to lead thousands of people who've come from the line of Noah and his family. And he reaches his position by wickedness, by being a tyrant, by being a killer. And he's such a killer, of course, that even God recognized his amazing, rebellious show of force. He expands his kingdom into Syria. He builds Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. That's the great city. And so he's pictured as having this great kingdom. It's sort of centered in this place called Babel which is the capital city of the empire that he's building in the Mesopotamian Valley. All the places in verses 10 and 11 are in the Mesopotamian Valley. They kind of run north to south in that valley. And he builds a kingdom of evil, 
a kingdom of rebellion, idolatry, pride, very much like the later king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. When you come to the King Nebuchadnezzar at Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That is, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jehoiakim. And it says, And brought them the vessels from the house of the Lord. Where? to the land of Shinar, and to the house of his God. He brought the vessels from the temple into the treasure of his God. So later on, the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, the great king in Daniel's time, is still located in Shinar, and Babylon is just a later version of Babel. The world empire established by Nimrod is still in the very same area where the Garden of Eden was created by God himself and evil people are ruling the entire known world from that area. Now the human enterprises then becomes the theme. Let's go back over to chapter 11 verse 3. And they said to one another. And of course that means there's agreement on everything here, because they're all together. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. That's mutually appealing to pride and sinfulness. They said all together, Let's make bricks and mortar. Come on, let's, let us. Let's do this. It marks their human effort. They're proud. They're rebellious. But they are also ingenious, and they figured out how to do this. There's no comparison between mankind and any animal. I mean, that gulf is as vast as that between a planet, a plant and an animal. Amen. There's no transitionary form. That gulf's too great. Man created in the image of God is ingenious. And because he has sin in his life, he's sinful and proud, rebellious. Man finds that human ingenuity only strengthens his wickedness. So they're saying, come, let us make a permanent settlement. We don't want to go anywhere else. I mean, that's a lot of play on Hebrew words here, so I'm not going to bother you with it. But for you Hebrew scholars, if you study that, you'll find some fascinating things in the Hebrew text. Amen? Now, there's an abundant supply or has been through the centuries, of clay and asphalt in the Mesopotamian Valley used as materials in ancient Babylon. For example, they said, let us get this material that's readily available. We'll make bricks. We'll burn them thoroughly. You see, they used brick in place of stones. When God said they're supposed to build some, they're supposed to build a lot of stones. They figured out, oh, no, we can make bricks. They'll all be alike. So they use bricks in place of stone and tar for mortar. Tar is available, as I said, in asphalt, and then the bricks, which allow building to occur much more readily than faster than stone, because stones are so hard to shape. But they all make identical houses, because again, they all have one language. Remember, that's the purpose of the Antichrist. Verse 4, they say, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. 
Now here comes the plan. It's a three-phase plan. A city, a tower, and a name. A city, a tower, and a name. First of all, I said, let's build a city. That's their social goal. The tower had to do with their religious goal. And the name had to do with their psychological goal. Let's build for ourselves a city. Not for God, not for the glory of God, not for the honor of God, but for ourselves. This is the first established city of man, if you will, after the flood. The city by man, made of man, made for man, without God. This also drives my thinking immediately to Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar looks out over Babylon and he's walking on the roof of his royal palace in, uh, in Babylon and Daniel chapter 4 verse 30 says, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And you know what happened there. Well, this is the same thing. Let's build for ourselves a city. We will have one people, one ruler, and they are doing it for evil motives. They want nothing to do with God. And as I've been saying to you, the power of evil is greater when it's concentrated. The power is greater when it's unhindered and unrestrained and no checks or balances. When you get a group of people together in one place like that and evil abounds... Folks, that's why people move to the suburbs out of the city. Even in modern times, they're trying to escape the overwhelming force of evil that occurs in every major city. Apparently, they had highly developed architectural skills and building construction skills because they wanted to build a city where they could live together for their own fulfillment and their own satisfaction. Secondly, they wanted to build a tower. This is, this is really the most curious part. What's the point of the tower? I mean, if you were going to build a tower for the purpose of, say, you know, looking out over the countryside to see your enemies, that'd be one thing. But there weren't any enemies. They were just one group of people. I could understand a tower if you were afraid you're going to be attacked, but there wasn't anybody to attack them. What's the tower all about? Well, if you look more carefully, you'll notice that it says, let us build a tower whose top, and that's in italics, which means it's been added to try to help you clarify things. If you just take that out, it says, whose top is in heaven, whose top connects to heaven. I think there's no other way to understand this than this was supposed to be their connection to the gods which indicates they had already begun to worship false gods. Not surprising, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. His ministers are disguised as angels of light. False religion is Satan's business, and it didn't take long for him to develop in them the false religion to take the place of the worship of the true God. 
You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.